The Start On Demand. On demand. An Amber Alert was issued Tuesday night in Winnipeg. It was resolved quickly and safely, but we had to ask the question, did you get it? Because some people got it on everything, while others didn't get it at all. Justin Trudeau has a warning for Canadians thinking about gathering for Easter or Passover. More reports of long lineups at the Convention Centre for vaccination. Survey says Canadians spent big on self-care through the pandemic. The couch potatoes assemble to tell you whether or not Godzilla vs. Kong is worth your 25 bucks. And what's your favorite Easter treat? I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. And this is the Wednesday, March 31st podcast for The Start. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, last night on my couch, I think I woke up, fell asleep on my couch, woke up at around 8.45, and uh, I don't know if I woke up because of this, but I woke up and looked down at my phone and saw an Amber Alert. Loren, did you get the Amber Alert on your phone? Nope, I did not get it, but I did. I do have all the Twitter alerts for the police and, of course, for our newsroom, so that's how I learned of it. But I, for whatever reason, and I could, it's probably operator error, since they've launched all sorts of all the different alerts for whether it be Amber Alerts or tornadoes or what have you, I don't, I don't get any of them. So I think that's on me, but no, I did not get it. Greg? I don't think it's on you, Loren. I didn't get it on my phone, but I was watching television at the time, and I did get it over my Shaw uh, inter- uh, internet or cable box, whatever the blue curve is, Brett. It's a magic box. That's all I know. And uh, my program was interrupted on two different channels at two different times when they updated first the uh, original Amber Alert and then when they updated the vehicle information, I had switched channels and received it. But I did not receive it on my phone. We have at least four cell phones in our house and I don't know if anybody else got it in my house. I'll have to check. We are all with the same provider as well. So uh, operator error, I don't think is the case there, Loren, unless you and I are both doing something wrong. Well, that's that, I guess that's the comfort there. It's something I've been wanting to look into, because, but I forgot all about it because we emerged out of that summer season. And then it was a reminder yesterday. And, and the good news is this Amber Alert ended with the everything being safe and, and the, the child was found. And so the situation is resolved on that front. But I wasn't until that tweet came onto my phone from the Winnipeg police that I thought, right, like we're entering, you know, we need to have those alerts ready on our phone. And I had just made the assumption it was me, not the provider. So I'll, I'll have to look into that. I'm, I'm wondering what other listeners found. 780-6868, let us know, because I just assumed, because I'm not so great with my phone, I mentioned yesterday, I can barely take pictures with it, that that it was just me. Yeah, because I, I know that uh, sometimes you get notifications through v- various other apps. Like I know uh, Environment Canada, for example, is set up to to send out emergency alerts of of some kind as it pertains to dangerous weather. But I think I've disabled some of those on some of these apps because some of these apps just bombard me with notifications all day long, and it just gets to be to the point where I I need to mute everything. But this just came up as its own. Like standalone, like not from any app, just an emergency alert on my phone. I was under the impression that it just simply overrides everything, no matter what. And so uh, to not have received it on my phone was a little bit bothersome because let's face it, where it's most effective is for people using their mobile phones and people who are out and about that receive that message, they can be on the lookout for vehicles either uh, on the highway or in the community. And so if these alerts are not getting uh, through to uh, cell phone users, then, uh, you know, what's the sense? So let us know, 204-780-6868. You can also email mackling at cjob.com, brett at cjob.com, 
or McNabb at CJOB.com. And we've also made that the subject of the question of the day, brought to you by Credit Aid, helping Manitobans get out of debt since 1992. Visit creditaid.ca, call 204-987-6890. Did you receive the Amber Alert? Also coming up today after 7 o'clock, we are going to talk about how there are continued reports Loren at RBC Convention Center of lineups to get the vaccine. Yeah, and I'm wondering if this is becoming a time of day issue. And so our colleague over at Global News, she's been on the COVID uh, beat for a year now. And so as has all sorts of contacts. This is Brittany Greenslade, who will who will write her with just their various questions. And so yesterday, late afternoon into the early evening, she was getting um, viewers and listeners texting her about their experiences at the convention center, saying that they were in lineups for an hour and a half, sometimes two hours, that they were continuing to wait for their vaccine appointment and it was not going well and they sort of described it as a gong show on the flip side i've had i had a friend who went and got her vaccine yesterday and she said the process was so smooth she couldn't believe how well it went and on top of that was surprised to learn that she got her parking paid for which is such a winnipeg thing to comment on and free parking (laughs) she says so it's just there's conflicting reports it might be a time of day thing but to to know that there are people who are waiting what sounds to be longer than they should is concerning because like we said, we don't want people getting in that line and then walking away out of frustration, Greg. Well, not only that, uh, you know, if you're asymptomatic and you're in that lineup, you don't right. want the vaccination process to turn into a super spreader event, which is obviously a concern as well. You don't want people. That's why we have the restrictions we have in place. We don't want people congregating face to face or with one another for any longer than they need to be. And so that's a, a big concern as well. And I, I commented in our group chat last night that perhaps it's just a matter of in the morning, if they get behind a little bit, then that gets magnified throughout the day. And perhaps just it seems to perhaps catch up with them by the afternoon and then perhaps they're they're finding mitigation strategies uh by the time they get to to later in the day but this is something we need to keep an eye on because you don't want it to deter people as you mentioned and the flip side is you don't want this to turn into something that it was never intended to be and Mm -hmm. that's to spread the virus even more also today, it's Wednesday, which means at 8.37, our weekly visit with Hal Anderson. We've got a special edition Couch Potatoes segment today. We'll do that at around 7.50 because Godzilla vs. Kong officially makes its debut today in theaters where there are theaters open. There are a handful of them open in Canada. There's one in Lloydminster, for example, that is open. But otherwise, if you want to watch Godzilla vs. Kong, you got to do it through premium video on demand. The Couch Potatoes have seen it. We'll tell you if it's worth the 25 bucks and Ooh. of course the winnipeg with 25 bucks it's not bad i think no, for family I, I meant also you have to give me the kid review I, G, I had someone asking me that yesterday and i realized i would say i would say it's okay for for kids but keeping in mind that there is some pretty savage monster violence. I had a parent asking me yesterday, is it okay for my kids? And I said, I don't know. I'm terrible. I'm a terrible barometer with this. (laughs) I'll tell you what. I'll let them watch it because I've lost all control parenting anyway in this (laughs) pandemic. And then when they start screaming in the middle of the night, I'll just call you. She said, this woman, uh, she asked me, um, uh, I'm I'm mostly concerned about bad language. I'm like, ah, so it's okay if monsters are tearing each other's <laughs> heads off, but a couple of bad words? <laughs> That's where I draw the line. Well, they've never heard their mom say a single bad word in this house, so I don't... I can't let this happen. Chicken nuggets! Oh, I used to love throwing that back on my mom's face when she'd give me crap for swearing and say, but you just said... Such and such. Do as I say. You're not the parent, Brett. (laughs) You're not the parent. I am the parent. (laughs) This is not an equal relationship. Are you feeling hopeful this morning? Or does the rise in variants have you concerned? Yeah, let's cover those off. Another 5 million doses of the Pfizer vaccine are scheduled to arrive in Canada in June. They were originally slated for delivery in late summer, But we learned yesterday that a shipment has been moved up or those shipments have been moved up with more doses on the way. Canada says it will have enough to give every Canadian one dose by September. And this just in in the last 10 minutes, Pfizer is saying their vaccine is 100 percent effective in children 
ages 12 to 15. The Pfizer vaccine has already been authorized for people starting at age 16, but this is the first evidence showing how it works in that younger age group, Loren. Yeah, so the good news there, more vaccines on the way. They're saying by September at the latest. And I guess so now the onus passes on to the province. If the supply is now coming in, are we going to be able to do this effectively? And we're going to continue that chat after seven on how the vaccination process might be going at some of those super centers. And we'd love to hear from our listeners. But in the meantime, while we wait for the vaccine, because many of us are still, what are we, uh, Brett and Greg, we're 200,000 down the list, I think. So we've got months to go. The focus, of course, remains on those variants. And so over the last week, we've been telling you the number of new variant cases in Canada has jumped 64%. The number of COVID patients in intensive care units has risen 14%. And as we've also been sharing with you, those variants are increasingly being found in that younger age group. And more and more people in that younger age group are ending up in the hospital. So we know uh, in BC, they've tightened, tightened restrictions as a result. In Toronto, two field hospitals are being set up in case there is this third wave coming. Uh, in Quebec, the premier said the biggest concern right now is social gatherings. And so for months now, that province has actually had a 9.30 p.m. curfew. It's now looking at, at moving that curfew back to 8.30. So all sorts of conversations taking place right across this country, particularly in those areas that are seeing those spikes. And so ahead of this long weekend, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau is actually warning anyone thinking of gathering for Easter or Passover or any other reason to maybe think twice. I know I've said the same thing before every major holiday over the past year. But this time, what's different is that even if the end of the pandemic is in sight, the variants mean the situation is even more serious. So even if the end is in sight, they're saying, hang on, we're in a place now that we, we weren't even in um, a March or Easter of one year ago. And so it, it had me asking the question this morning, you know, when we think back to Thanksgiving and the warnings we were given back then, what are we doing now when it comes to Easter and how are we feeling? And of course, a lot of people would be comparing how we're doing with vaccination to the United States, the United States miles ahead. However, some cautionary data out of that country uh, just this morning, New York Times, I got this on my phone. Infections in the U.S. are rising again, average 65 new cases a day over the past week. That's 19 percent above uh, what they were experiencing two weeks ago. And that's actually close to the summer peak that they experienced last year. So despite vaccinations being basically through the roof in the United States and a lot of these restrictions ending down there, maybe a cautionary tale there. These variants are, 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 are really uh, playing havoc with, with our battle against COVID-19, Brett. And having dinner with your bubble is one thing. A full-on party is another. A full-blown rager. This was the sound coming from a private restaurant in Kelowna on Monday night. So this is a video captured on social media showing scores of young adults having a good time at a restaurant in Big White. Restaurant is not associated with the resort corporation at Big White Ski Resort other than being located there. Uh, The party took place hours after BC announced restaurants would soon be returning to takeout only. So you can see that at globalnews.ca. The headline, raging private restaurant party at BC Ski Resort called Disgusting embarrassing and it i i gotta tell you the mixed emotions i felt watching this video on one hand it was kind of nice to see young people having a good time but at the same time and this is just how things have changed you know a year just over a year ago i would have thought that looks like a normal time at a ski resort and now you're uncomfortable almost i mean like it it makes you think about how you just feel seeing all sorts of different even when a couple people are in the park together you're out doing your thing you checking yourself all the time like am i within the rules or the limits or whatever right now we want to talk about easter treats what is your favorite we need you to text us at 204-780-6868 for a chance to win 20 dollars gift card for santa lucia pizza tell us a story associated with that maybe you have a sentimental reason for liking it or maybe there's a particular person you enjoy sharing a certain treat with let's go around the horn here we got cam poitras jeff braun jeff fortier uh loren mcnab you're off tomorrow um, but I want to start with you because you lamented, well, not lamented, you remarked that there was one in particular that you have not enjoyed for several years uh, for reasons I commend you for. What, uh... Oh, and I love this one. And, and, I, and I wouldn't eat this chocolate bar in the normal size, but the O. Henry 
Easter bar that's just smaller and stuffed with more things. I don't even know why it tastes different. I'm sure it's exactly the same. It's just, it's a different shape, I think. It's more like an egg than a long chocolate bar. Yep. And, uh, I, but I'm sure the ingredients are the same. But for some reason around Easter, I love the O. Henry Easter egg, but my one son has a nut and tree nut allergy. And so I have not brought anything into the house with nuts in it in years and even feel guilty when I have dabbled in the nut department. And really? So I haven't, yeah, I just feel bad. I just, I just, I also, it's more about the idea that what if I eat it and even if I, you know, rinse up my mouth and brush my teeth, what if I bring some remnants into the house? I don't need it that badly, right? So, but I, man, I love that Easter time, oh, Henry. So... Maybe someday. Maybe someday. <laughs> <Just> see Loren <laughs> taking a road, a, tr- a drive, <laughs> half an hour out of town just to eat an O. Henry bar. Exactly. I'll take a day off, and that's what I'll be doing on my day off. <laughs> You'll have to Henry's rent a car. A yeah, <laughs> so a different no, car. And, yeah, everything. Yeah. And then I'll, then I'll go to a car suit. wash. I'll put myself through the car wash after just to rinse <laughs> off the nut residue or something. Yeah. Poitras, what about you? Well, you know, we never really, I never really, my mom wouldn't do an Easter egg hunt, but, and if she did, it was like barely anything. But one thing we always did get was we always got a VHS <laughs> and we always got movies. Uh, and, and one of them that I got was the, uh, was the Bugs Bunny and Roadrunner movie. I got that on VHS. I really, really wanted that one. And it's got my favorite cartoon like of all time in it. Oh, nice. Yes, I know I can't help. And it's just, you know, Bugs Bunny, it's it's complete comic genius. Bugs Bunny coming down on that big fat pony uh, and he's dressed up as a Valkyrie and Elmer Fudd's got these big eyes for him. What's opera doc? So I, whenever I think of Easter, I always think of, of, of getting that VHS and, and Watching uh, Bugs Bunny and, and Roadrunners. Just absolutely love that. That's so. interesting. So, yeah. your favorite Easter treat isn't even something, uh, it's not even a snack, it's a cartoon. It's a cartoon, yes. Attaboy, yeah. Jeff Braun. My favorite used to be those Cadbury cream eggs, but I sort of, just thinking about them now, sort of gag a little because that's like literally just liquid sugar poured inside of chocolate. And it's isn't kinda... it delicious? Look, he, pick, he picked mine. Oh. That's, I was going to say Cadbury cream eggs. <laughs> now, now my go-to, would, well, it would be the, the Cadbury mini eggs. I really like those, but mm-hmm. like the cream egg, I also haven't had those for, I don't know, five, maybe ten years probably. I just, I just don't ever end up having Easter candy for some reason. Yeah, I don't like the cream egg ever. Uh, I think I used to maybe like it when I was little, but now I'm with you, the mini eggs all the way. So, and Forte, the cream egg was yours? Oh, the cream egg. You know, now I'm thinking. Now I'm thinking the Reese's Pieces little eggs that you can also get. Oh, God, that's my favorite. Reese's Pieces <laughs> come yes. in eggs? Well, yeah, you can get them in eggs, and I think they even come in carrot form. <laughs> I, what? Yeah. Carrot shape. Carrot, yes. Carrot yeah. shape. Oh, not, well, not carrot no form. Right. <laughs> nobody wants carrot oh, flavored dear. anything at this time of year. That Reese. is true. Carrot shape. Carrots. Oh, Reese's uh, pieces eggs. Reese's pieces formed in the shape of a carrot. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They, you, they've got the chocolate. Lint has the the chocolate carrots as well. Uh, what about you, Mackling? Okay, well, it's pretty basic, but it's very specific at the same time. So it's that chocolate Easter bunny, not the lame, hollow Easter uh, bunny chocolate form. It has to be the solid Uh. milk chocolate with the candy eye, whether it's the yellow or the, the blue candy. And uh, Rice Krispies, uh, oh wait, trademark infringement there, uh, uh, crispy rice inside. <laughs> and okay. that's my favorite, always was my favorite. And yes, you must start with the ears. Well, or don't something. you just feel terrible when you do that? Absolutely <laughs> not. I love I, chomping I into you, that Forte. solid piece. No way. It's a lovely yeah, little bunny. What's I like that? to get the kids shapes like hockey hockey sticks or something, and then I don't feel guilty watching them <laughs> gnaw off a rabbit's head. No. No. no, just go right for the ears, baby. You, you always hope that you know it's not hollow. Like you always get that big Easter bunny and mm-hmm. chocolate, and you're thinking, oh, this yes, is going to be great. Then you, then it's just like crumbles in your hand, and it's always disappointing. You always have like this thought in the back of your head. Please let this be solid chocolate. Please yeah, let this be know. solid chocolate. I don't know why the hollow one's so lame, Brett, but the chocolate <laughs> tastes different. Yeah, it's, it's just, dry. It's weak. I know. It's a weak, weak sauce. Yeah, we some weak sauce. Yeah, for me, it's the mini eggs. And I, I, I got to ask my dad how much money he spends on mini eggs because every time I 
Every time I have visited him for the last month, he's always got a fresh bag of mini eggs on the table, and he always tells me, eat them, because I, I, I can't stop myself. So he puts them out <laughs> so that I will eat them all, and uh, I'll eat half a bag in about 30 seconds and then immediately have a sugar crash like a half hour later because I can't stop myself from eating the mini eggs. I think it might be my favorite chocolate treat, uh, period. So let us know your favorite Easter treat, and if you've got a story to go with it, that'll increase your chance to win the $20 gift card for Santa Lucia Pizza, which we'll give away just after 9.15. I want to highlight two text messages here. One on Easter treats. This one sounds fun. When I was younger, my Oma and Opa would always do the Easter egg hunt, and my Oma would make these Easter cookies, and my Opa would be in charge of hiding all the Easter baskets, but their property had a lot of trees around it, so he would go really hardcore and hide them up in trees and even on top of their house. So we, so we had literally had to look everywhere to find our baskets <laughs> on top uh, of the house. Honestly, my, so my parents used to hide jujubes because my mom wasn't a big chocolate person, so she would hide, they would hide jujubes, and my dad would get so competitive, like ridiculous, and he'd stand at the corner being like, like, come on, you can't see that one? You guys, come on, use your brains, take a look. Like, he just get, he'd chirp us as we were walking around the house looking for things. Like, it would get, and then, like, months later, he'd find one. He'd be like, well, I guess you guys missed this one. I got an old, bl-. and then he'd pop it in his mouth. Oh. <laughs> I love an old, chewy jujube. In fact, I kind of enjoy them when I find them weeks or months later. Really? Yeah. Oh, okay. Hard- but it was competitive. I, that's what I liked about it. Like, the whole, the whole like... Well, I guess dad wins this one again this year. You're like, wow, you're really taking the family out of this moment. <laughs> the jujubes, though, are, aren't they better when they're a little bit soft versus Not, the I personally rock love hard them. ones? I love them when they're rock hard. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah that, and that ties into what I, I was watching a show. I think it's a show called Debris, new show on NBC, and they were talking about peeps, and the guy was saying they're better when they're stale. Oh, isn't that interesting? Yeah. So maybe that's not a very strong endorsement of the product. No, (laughs) no, but uh, I guess there is something to it. Stale candy. Do you like stale candy? Let us know. 204 780 6868. (laughs) The second one is from Scott, and uh, this pertains to your phone, Loren. He was saying, look at the front of your cell phone near at the top of the screen. It should tell you signal strength network and 3G, 4G, LTE, or 5G. And uh, he went on to explain something that I don't, I, we have to to verify this, but this is interesting as it pertains to the Amber Alert. Yeah, he's basically saying if you have 3G, which is what I have on my phone, that you're not going to get the alert because the providers here aren't letting that alert go to that lower level system. And so in the States, he says you, you can get it on 2G, those alerts, but you can't get it on 3G. I'm double checking to see if that's true. And it's not that I don't trust Scott. Scott's a loyal listener and he sends us lots of great tips, but I'm trying to figure out if I just don't have a compatible device and phone as a result. And so I'm going to look into that and let uh, folks know because I hadn't heard that before. Yeah, he says, unless you move to the States, he goes on to, to suggest Canadian cell phone providers decided not to spend that money, uh, whereas they provide it to all cell phones in the U.S. down to 2G. So I didn't even know 2G was still a thing. So there you go. Uh, so let us know. Amber Alert. You can also weigh in question of the day, cjob.com. In the meantime, we want to switch gears now to vaccination. And here is an example text that we received on your experience with getting the vaccine. I just went to get the vaccine Sunday morning. I arrived at the convention center at 9.05, was back in my car driving home by 10.10. My appointment time was 9.20, and when I arrived, I got into a line that started on the first floor and continued to move at a good pace to the second floor and then to the third floor. The process seems fairly organized as there are many staff along the way guiding people and making sure that they are following the social distancing guidelines. The closest I got to any person for longer than two minutes was when I actually received my vaccination and the vaccinator sat beside me to poke me with a needle. I feel that the wait time is fairly reasonable and the possibility of a super spreader event coming out of this is relatively low as long as people follow all of the rules. I would say that goes without saying, but an extraordinary and very well 
laid out experience from one of our listeners. Uh, but another one of our listeners may be laying out and echoing the sentiments we were sharing with one another a little while ago with regard to the morning apart- appointments being okay. Uh, very simply said this, I think morning appointments are okay because yes, I know that my co-worker's mom had to wait over two hours yesterday as well. And I'm guessing, Loren, from the tone of that text that that appointment was in the afternoon, not in the morning. And that's what we were asking. Is there some sort of scheduling conflict that keeps coming up in the afternoon? And this stems from uh, our colleague, Global's Brittany Greenslag. She tweeted out yesterday that she was receiving reports again late yesterday in the afternoon of long lineups at RBC. And so then she sent a ask out to the province to find out if there was something going on again, because we know last Friday there had been that glitch with the software, which resulted in not enough staff for the amount of appointments that they had. Well, the statement from the province again yesterday said, for much of the day, the site was running on or ahead of schedule. Staff scheduling issues continue to be a challenge, though, which resulted in a delay this afternoon, averaging about 45 minutes. The team on site is working to catch up. So once again, they had some staff scheduling issues. And Listen, I know this is new. We've never gone through this before, but we need to work those kinks out because how many days in a row can we say it's a race between the vaccines and variants and then continue to have regular old staffing issues clog up the system? Well, and we've had assurances at different points over the last several months that if we had the vaccine, when we get the vaccine, if only we had the vaccine, we could inoculate 20,000 people a day. Well, you know, we're not even getting close to four or five or 6,000 people a day. So what happens, we saw yesterday the news that we're going to get a real bump in terms of uh, Pfizer vaccine over the next several weeks as uh, they bump up production and Canada is going to get a, a much larger supply and shipment than was anticipated as we head towards June. What's going to happen when we actually have all the vaccine? Are we going to be able to do what we said? We've had months and months and months to plan for this. And I know planning versus putting it into process and and actually doing it are two different things but we've got to get better at this there's no doubt about it and i'm sure the people behind it are saying exactly the same thing and the difference here is you know i it's not like it's uh suddenly you see a surge of people in the er and then you you have to call people in you know how many bookings you have like you know each day that x number of people it's a good point it's not a free-for-all right so it's not like you just show up and oh wow a thousand people showed up today only 100 showed up the following day and you're not prepared for either scenario you know going in what the scenario is and so whatever whatever's resulting in staffing issues needs to be resolved as soon as possible we know the vaccine task force is holding its regular briefing today uh and so we will be hearing more from them and i and and the cynic in me also says, isn't this just the way things go sometimes with healthcare? I mean, we've all waited long lineups before, but this is different. We know what's coming. We know what to expect. I think we can do better. I'll be in that line tomorrow with my dad. He yes. goes tomorrow right after the show. It's almost like they, like he's, it worked out so perfectly. The timing, I think his appointment's at 1120. So I'll wrap up what I do here. I'll walk over to the convention center. I'll meet him. And uh, if it's a long lineup, I guess. I'll be letting you know about it. Make sure he brings your Easter eggs and then you get something to pass the time. And Brett, did you say uh, um, that your dad has yet to see where you live? He's in- been there, but he hasn't been over for over a year, like basically since I moved in. Holy smokes. I was pretty solitary for that first year at GMAC. So. But now, and then since the pandemic, of course, well, of course I, I just go see him. Crystal texting us. Saying another great memory in 2012 for Easter was when I was in my 40s. I took my mom to Gildonan Place and convinced her to take <laughs> to take me to see the Easter Bunny. We stood in line with all the other kids and their moms. She tried to tell me I was too old for this, but getting my picture taken with the Easter Bunny and my mom is priceless. And she has sent us the picture. <laughs> oh, so good. That bunny is kind of scary. Yes. That's like a- Eight foot tall bunny. It's wearing a vest, like a like a paisley red vest and a pink red bow, and it looks that bunny could be high. I mean, what, what do you mean? I high? love it. Like I, tall I just, or under the yeah, influence? Both. I mean both. I mean it's both tall and enjoying itself in that moment. This is a great photo, Crystal. This makes me want to get this done. I wish we could get a Mackley McGarry and McNabb bunny photo. It's like essentially like uh, a Santa Claus picture, yes. except with the Easter bunny. Yeah. I love it. Okay.
I didn't even know nice they did vest. that. Nice vest there, Easter Bunny. Really, and a bow tie. Really stepping it up there. I like it. <laughs> so keep your stories coming. 204-780-6868. Chance to win Santa Lucia pizza gift card. $20 worth. We'll give it away just after 9.15. Donna G says, as her children were growing up, they would find all the stuffed bunnies in the living room as they had a party with the Easter Bunny. They were very stealthy leaving their bedrooms late at night. Oh, so they would what, sneak out and find the bunnies before. Uh, they, they, then the kids had to check all the bunnies and where they partied to find the eggs. So, Donna, thank you for that. There is a new movie out today in theaters where you can find them in various tiny pockets of Canada. But otherwise, you can rent this on premium video on demand. Godzilla will come for him. They have an ancient rivalry. Godzilla had left us in peace. Now he's provoked into war. Who bows to who? Nobody gonna stop me. Here we go. Kong bows to no one. Godzilla versus Kong. It's a $25 rental. The Couch Potatoes have seen this, thanks to Warner Brothers for the screener access on Monday. Jeff Braun joins us now, and the plot doesn't matter. This is the fourth movie in the MonsterVerse. We had Godzilla a few years ago, then Kong Skull Island, then Godzilla King of the Monsters, and now the two of them have come together. 80% on Rotten Tomatoes. Braun, what did you think? I thought it was fun. It was it was really dumb, but it was uh, <laughs> quite the spectacle. It's too bad we couldn't see it on a big screen because that would have been, uh, you know, this is what this movie was built for, was a big screen. I, I do enjoy the fact that even still, after all these years, the army keeps shooting at Godzilla like it's going to do something. It has never <laughs> once in the history of time ever done anything but they keep shooting at him it's like oh we're gonna get him now no you're not gonna get him now it's like they haven't seen the previous movies <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> but hang on like what is he made of you know like kevlar like that doesn't make any sense a bullet has to get through at some point he feeds on nuclear energy if you if you tried to nuke him it would just make him stronger so it's, <laughs> it's insane can i ask a question what is the beef that they have with one another and and why must Tokyo or Hong Kong or these various metropoli uh, pay the price for their anger with one another. Well, it wouldn't be fun if we watched them just duke it out in the middle of the sea. <laughs> we got to see them destroy <laughs> things. Holding hands on the beach or something like that. <laughs> if they don't I, fight, there's no movie, Greg. Well, That's I, why they're mad at each other. <laughs> I think it would be cool to see one of them emerge from Lake Manitoba and the other one from Lake Winnipeg and then have this epic battle over the interlake of, of Manitoba. Uh, no? Okay, never mind. Well, they try to. <laughs> there is one scene where they do fight in the water, but Godzilla can breathe underwater. King Kong can't. Oh, boy. So that's why they got to spill into the streets. Now, Jeff, Loren was asking, is this okay for kids? You have a better barometer of that kind of thing. What do you think? Yeah, I think it is. Uh, there's. There's no real gore. There is a couple of things that are a little bit gross or a little bit scary, but nothing really major. And even the thing that's gross, it isn't gross in a realistic way. That would be like, you know what I mean? Like it's a, a, a creature gets ripped, part of it ripped apart, and it's green on the inside. So it's not like it's red blood or anything like that. So, yeah, it's, it has some savage violence, Loren, but as one person told me, it's a monster versus monster violence. So that's okay. Yeah, it's not. You can't. You can't relate to it. So, uh, so it won't lead to one of them ripping off the other's head. Hopefully, in some sort of simulation. <laughs> hopefully not. And yeah, it's. I think Kong Skull Island was the scariest of these four movies. I even saw somebody describe Kong Skull Island as bordering on a uh, horror film. But yeah, I thought this was a blast. I very much enjoyed the spectacle. The visual effects were so tremendous. And I mean, the the, the explanation they come up with for the two of them having to duke it out is good enough, but there there is just enough plot, I think, to sort of explain yeah. it, but it didn't go too far. Like, it was under two hours. A lot of these movies take themselves way too seriously. They go two and a half hours. When it, and So the fact that they realized exactly what this was, it was meant to be just a simple monster, beat them up and get in, get out, and uh, it was a good time. I just wish I had movie popcorn to go with it, Jeff. Absolutely. I did actually go to the store and buy some popcorn so uh, to eat while I watch it. But it wasn't as good as, as the movie popcorn. And I was actually surprised that they put as much effort into the story 
as they did considering the movie they were trying to make. So I was actually kind of impressed by that. But, you know, that said, the story is ludicrous. And uh, it's also one of those things. There's a, a company called Apex Cybernetics. And uh, we know from watching movies before, if you if there's a giant company with the word cyber in its title, nothing good is going to come <laughs> from that company. That's, they're the bad guys immediately. So what do you think, Greg? Are you going to watch this with the Twin Towers? I can't bring myself to pay 25 bucks for a home rental. If you went to the movie, though, you'd pay 40 yeah. I just don't know if we would go to the movie. Oh, psh, go to the movie? Psh, that's $90 for us by the time everything is said and done. I'll, I'll, I will pull them. I will ask them if they're interested. <laughs> and if they are interested, why not? I mean, there's a lot more expensive things we could be doing right now. Loren? If I win my bet against my youngest tonight in the Leafs game, I'll have the cash for this movie. So <laughs> That's not really... Yeah, never mind. <laughs> I know. Still all my it's money. Still your money, yes. <laughs> Jeff Ron, co-host of the Couch Potatoes. We're, we're actually recording the show today, so the podcast will be available by 2 p.m. today. And the show airs regularly scheduled time Saturdays at noon, Sundays at 6, of course, when there is not a Jets broadcast. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Here's the headline. Canadians spend big on self-care throughout pandemic. This, Loren, according to a Scotiabank survey. Yeah, 98% of Canadians say their self-care habits are here to stay in this post-pandemic world. 79% are doing at least one self-care activity partaking in at least one activity. And then, of course, you have uh, the money breakdown. And it turns out those 18 to 34 have spent about $400 on self-care and then of course 255 for the 35 to 54 year olds and and then the least amount is amongst those over 55 and so I think we've been seeing this kind of trend over the years a lot of people are putting more money into self-care whether it comes from you know you're getting a massage or you're going to get things done or you're even just taking some time for therapy or what might it be but I'm curious what people are actually doing in this pandemic when it comes to self-care or what that might mean to them I certainly have bought more products for the self-care at home like I, I have more way more baths than I ever used to have and different things that are supposed to help you relax and but part of that to me Greg is out of boredom well, yeah, for sure. And I think online shopping is one of the big activities here, 34% saying that they're partaking in that. So when you have more time on your hands, uh, clearly that is an opportunity to indulge online in a variety of different things, including shopping. And so uh, I know we've had a fair number of packages coming to our home from time to time. It seems to happen in fits and stops. or Is it fits and starts or fits and stops? Starts, I think. Yeah, well, either way. So we get a bunch, and then sometimes we don't get any, and then we get a bunch more. So whatever uh, terminology covers off that activity, that's uh, what's happening at our house. But also with regard to the self-care, and uh, maybe it's a home gym or some sort of equipment. I know one of my best friends has really gone all in with regard to his home gym. He gave me a virtual tour the other day. I was really impressed with mm -hmm. the stuff uh, that he bought, and he's really sticking to it. He's using this Noom technology. Have you seen that app? Oh, I get those ads all the time because I like to Google a lot of weight loss strategies, but not necessarily <laughs> You don't do. want to go all in? Like, I'm just, you know, I'm basically, I'm waiting for the one that says, just sit there in your Batman pajamas and you will drop 20 pounds. And I'm like, boom, I'll sign up for that. But in the meantime, because I Google that so much, I do get all those ads. But yeah, like the, the people are, so the, the order of things that self-care was rated on, the most popular was baking and cooking at 50%, home workouts at 41%. And then of course you mentioned the online shopping, Greg. For me, it would be, I guess, the only the only self-care spending I've been doing for the past year is, of course, on all of the takeout. And it was it, it didn't really sink in just how much takeout I have ordered over the last year to feed my soul. As when I spoke to Kevin Bergen, host of The Main Ingredient, he wanted to interview me about takeout. <laughs> and um, and I, when you surprise even the host of The Main Ingredient of how many places you know for takeout, like I caught Kevin off guard with three or four places he had never heard of. Oh, wow. Did he force you to do a tabulation or calculation of how many times you've done takeout or anything? like? No, did, not, not that specific, but it was clear. For, yeah, yeah. It was clear from <laughs> the number of places I rattled off that there's no need for a forensic audit. <laughs> exactly the terminology <laughs> I was trying 
trying to slide into the conversation here because we've discussed that whole uh, idea, Loren, that uh, our social media and our, our none of our past would would survive a forensic audit. So I'm just curious as to uh, if whether or not Brett has taken the time to sit down and figure out how much he spent on takeout. One of our former colleagues who works in radio in Vancouver did that a few yeah. weeks ago on Twitter, and I think he was at $1,500 on Skip the Dishes. <laughs> uh, that was just since de- uh, December 1st. Oh. And then the and and on top of that, that's not the only online app that he uses. He also used DoorDash. DoorDash. <laughs> oh, boy. We should do this as a question in terms of what you think your most ridiculous amount of spending has been in the past year or, or worst online purchase. Like as a result of the self-care, I purchased these things, these sloughing, like they're supposed to take your skin off, you know, like your dry skin. Yeah. Just completely useless and they have a weird smell to them, but I keep trying. And then I got some banana clips in the mail yesterday that I ordered because we were talking about 80s and the banana clips. <laughs> For your with hair? Na- with neighbors. And man, are they useless. Like they are made out of, they might as well be made, like they're so flimsy they couldn't even hold my bangs. <laughs> use your use those on your uh, potato chip bags. But I had a big vision. I'm going. You're right. They, they're not even strong enough for that. I thought I was going to be doing walks around the neighborhood with a sweet banana clip mane going down. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, we have time only for two texts, a runner-up and our winner, based on your texts at 204-780-6868 on favorite Easter treats, Santa Lucia pizza, $20 gift card up for grabs. Here is our runner-up, a favorite Easter memory is when our children were young, working closely with the Easter bunny, we would get him to hide the eggs throughout the house. When the kids woke up all excited and anxious, they would get their baskets, and then I would put on the mandatory music. I would play the William Tell Overture, the calm music starting up gradually and then when the upbeat tempo of the galloping music that we're so familiar with in Bugs Bunny cartoons, the kids would be off running around the house with the William Tell Overture blaring in the background. It was a lot of fun and a great way to introduce them to classical music and work out some of the excess energy. And then, Greg, you asked what? I asked, do they still have an affection for classical music today? Great question, Greg. Yes. That as well as live theater and chocolate. And in their 30s, my daughter has continued the tradition with her daughter. So that's a fun text. Thank you for that. That's our runner-up. But Loren Crystal was our winner. Yeah, and Crystal, for a couple of reasons. Her first text said, Growing up, my mom made Rice Krispie nests, nests with chocolate eggs. I'm now in my 50s, and I still try and convince my mom to make them, but she seems to think I'm old enough to make them myself. But do you ever notice that some things just taste better if your mom makes it? And she sent a picture of those tasty treats, which uh, had me exclaiming, yes, it does make you feel better when your mom makes it. But then Crystal added this. Another great memory is in 2012 when I was in my 40s. I took my mom to Kildonan Place and convinced her to take me to see the Easter Bunny. We stood in line with all the other kids and their moms, and she tried to tell me I was too old for this. But getting my picture taken with the Easter Bunny and my mom is priceless. So there, there's the photo. Two adults, mom and Crystal, with the giant, enjoyable Easter Bunny in the middle. And that photo, to me, Brett, sealed the deal. Yep, the scary Easter Bunny. That did it for all of us. We had a good laugh over that. Congratulations, Crystal. Thank you for your story and for all of your stories. Wonderful memories have been shared today. COVID-19, it's had a dramatic effect on all of our lives over the past year. And we've been talking about that so much over the past year, Brett, but this morning we want to talk about the fact that the economic impact and disruption to our lives has really not been evenly distributed. This is Family Minister Rochelle Squires. We know that the COVID-19 pandemic has highlighted the challenges faced by renters throughout the province, causing unexpected financial hardships for many. In some cases, these hardships may have even put them at risk of eviction. This can put an enormous strain on families, disrupting the lives of children, and possibly even leading to more debt as they struggle to deal with the costs of moving and starting all over again. She outlined that picture as part of a provincial announcement launching what they're calling a rent bank with the purpose of assisting low to moderate income families who need help paying their rent. The $5.6 million program will hand out interest-free loans to people who are behind on their rent 
or Greg, it will give them to them if they need to move to more appropriate housing. Yeah, there are currently rent bank programs, and I'd never heard of this up until Monday, in cities such as Toronto and Vancouver. Other cities like Kelowna launch programs this year in the midst of the pandemic. In our province, funds will be administered through the Manitoba Nonprofit Housing Association. Christina Mays-Nino is Executive Director of the MNPHA and joins us this morning on The Start. Good morning, Christina. Good morning. Please tell us a little bit more about the implementation of this rent bank. Who will ultimately use this service and, and how will it all work? Oh, we're, so the announcement came out and, and all of a sudden we were receiving all these calls of people that are, are needing this service. So it really shows that there's, there's a clear need for it. We still need to set it up. So there are some eligibility criteria and then the application process that we need to uh, go through and sort of set up so that it will be available we're um, envisioning that it will be available through an online or a phone application uh, quite quickly. We're hoping by May 31st at the very latest. And it will provide, uh, as the minister said, low-interest loans. They won't be dependent on credit. Um, so a lot of folks who have been calling me have been saying, you know, I can't get a loan. I, I have limited credit or some <laughs> some poor, poor credit histories. Uh, and it, the, the goal is really just to keep people in their housing unit because we know that there are costs attached to people moving both on the landlord side as well as uh, for the renters who, who may have to find a new location. So Christina, you mentioned as soon as this announcement was made, you received a lot of phone calls. Give us an inside look as to what issues you're hearing from Manitobans and about the upheaval that can be created by any financial disruption or that need to move. Yeah, well, even prior to the COVID, there there are countless uh, articles about how many uh, families and individuals are just one paycheck away from uh, from eviction or from homelessness. And so uh, with this disruption due to COVID, a lot more people are missing paychecks. So a lot of people are calling saying, you know, I'm on employment insurance, I'm, I'm looking for work or I'm starting work soon, but I've gotten really behind and I, I just need to catch up. So this will provide that that sort of gap for them so that they they can pay their rent, they can get caught up, and they can slowly repay it while they get back on their feet. Minister Squires, Squires also touched on something in her comments that we shared, and that's the disruption that moving can create for children and the financial impact that move can have on a family's already precarious financial situation. So can you maybe give us an inside look as to what issues that upheaval can create? Well, I mean, depending on the where the person's coming from, for us in the nonprofit housing sector, a lot of the folks that are living in nonprofit housing get um, affordable rents. And if they have to move, there are very long wait lists. So if they lose that place, they're moving into an apartment that's much more expensive, which will mean that they're always a little bit behind. Um, but then there's also that the cost of moving. Um, I don't know if anyone's moved lately, but just <laughs> the cost of of finding a new place, of the damage deposit, of cleaning, of the moving trucks, and then for kids having to find new schools or or move schools, there's uh, disruptions to family relationships if people are living close to family or friends or support systems. So it's it, it it's so hard to put a dollar figure on it, but we know that the you know people build their lives around their home. Uh, and with COVID, even more so. And so if you lose that home, um, the disruption is it can be insurmountable for some folks. Christina, does this also highlight the lack of traditional banking options for, for so many people in our community? Yeah, there are um, certainly gaps in, in access to credit, uh, access to banking. There, there are some uh, organizations that do a great job of trying to fill those gaps. So... Um, Seed Winnipeg is one of the partners on the the loan on the rent bank program, and they do a lot to help people get credit uh, or sort of build their credit. Do uh, have they have saving circles? They help people set up bank accounts. Assiniboine Credit Union and their community financial center really support uh, low income folks. But I've I've surveyed a lot of folks experiencing homelessness who will say, you know, it costs me more to have a bank account. I'm I'm better off just cashing checks at the payday lender or whatever. It might be because they don't have um, they don't have all of the resources they, that they need to get that that bank account set up. Can you talk about that? You know, payday loan system. I know that there's it does take. I think it's thirty percent of someone's paycheck right off the top, um, and so 
what are the concerns when people are turning to those methods repeatedly and they are already at, at a lower income level, Christina? Well, it becomes really hard to catch up. So you right. sort of get stuck in this cycle, right? You borrow uh, so that you can pay off uh, something and then you still have to keep keep paying that off. Uh, one of the people who called me yesterday said he sold all his jewelry so that he could pay his rent. Um, and so you get stuck in that sort of like the pawn and and um, and quick loan uh, industry that uh, isn't set up necessarily in a way that's supportive for uh, low-income people. So you say that you're hoping by the end of May uh, that people will be able to take advantage of this service. Any idea as to how they'll they'll do it? Like what steps will they need to take? Uh, our goal is to make it uh, centralized and easy to apply. So we'll have an online um, eligibility tool, and they've done this in British Columbia. They have a provincial rent bank. So it will be a simple form for those that don't have access online. We're going to have phone options. Over the long term, we'd like to have some in-person, some regional um, uh, bank places where people can sort of walk in and bring whatever information they need. Uh, and of course, with COVID, we're going to have to be creative, right? We need, we might need people to send a photo with their ID and send in whatever information that they can online. But we're going to make it as simple as possible. Um, and usually, there's there's um, requirements around income, so they need to be low income um, or middle income. There's we also need people to be able to repay the loan, um, so we don't want to <laughs> sort of follow that that uh, the the payday loan system either of setting people up for failure. Um, and we also want to make sure that people can can continue to stay in their housing. So um, it's likely going to go directly to landlords and probably have some uh, have the landlord commit to keeping that person in their unit um, if they if they are able to pay their rent. Christina, before I let you go here, uh, we see the real estate market exploding in so many locations across Canada. Winnipeg not immune to that and other uh, locations and communities in Manitoba experiencing a little bit of an increase and a boom, if you like, in terms of real estate prices. Is that going to lead to greater challenges for people who need affordable housing? Well, there there has been a need for affordable housing for a long time. And I think the need now, what we're seeing is that there's maybe an, uh, an over uh, development of, of condo units or other rental units that are in the sort of higher uh, range. So to, there are lots of sort of two-bedroom units at 1500 to $2,000 a month available right now, but low-income people can't pay that. So it's the um, large families, single individuals, and low-income folks that are, are really struggling in this market and that will continue to struggle unless they're um, continue to be investments in affordable housing. Christina Mays Nino, Executive Director of the Manitoba Nonprofit Housing Association, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Christina, thank you very much for this. Thanks for having me. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think. And hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG. That's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.